Greetings and peace be with you. Friends, happy 4th of July weekend. Obviously, we're in the midst of summer, and in Alaska, individual sports rule the summertime. Summer for Alaskans mostly means fishing for salmon and halibut, hiking mountain trails, or maybe getting into a foot race of some kind. In fact, one of the world's great foot races is the race up Mount Marathon, the 2,974-foot mountain atop Seward, Alaska. However, in most other parts of the world, summer is mostly ruled by a team sport known as baseball. Throughout the lower 48 into Central and South America, across the Pacific Ocean to Korea and Japan, and even down under in Australia, baseball and its cousin softball are watched and played by the masses. And to be fair to our friends throughout the remainder of the world, cricket is the team sport which most folks enjoy. Now for me, I love baseball. When I was a kid, we played baseball every day of the week except Sunday. And on Sunday, we simply watched the Minnesota Twins. From an outsider's point of view, baseball oftentimes looks like an individual's game and a boring individual's game at that. A single pitcher throws to an individual who hits the ball in the direction of a single in or outfielder who individually throws toward the base the individual runner is attempting to obtain. But in reality, baseball is a total team sport. Nine players on one unified team moving as a single unit in fluid motion like a well-oiled machine, reacting to the situation at hand. Nine players throwing and then running after a baseball, then relaying that ball to the awaiting teammate, attempting to prevent nine players on the opposing unified team who are swinging the bats, running the bases, and attempting to cross the plate to score runs before the three outs are accumulated. Baseball, one of the finest team games known to humankind. Well, maybe perhaps I'm a bit biased. Nevertheless, hopefully you catch, no pun intended, what I'm driving at. If you will allow me this comparison, for many inside as well as outside the church, Christianity is oftentimes thought of or seen as an individual sport, an individual's event. Biblical images of running the race to win the prize, fighting the fight in order to knock out one's opponent, or avoiding the trappings of individual sinning, oftentimes dominate sermons and daily meditations. If the goal of Christianity was to only live our lives so that we may get to heaven, perhaps those images should dominate our lives. Yet, in reality, Christianity is really a team sport. Not in the sense that one church is in competition with another church, although at times it often feels that way, but a total team sport with the goal of being that we who live and walk as Christ followers would form our lives together into one family, specifically known as the family of God, lifting one another up, supporting one another in good times as well as bad, living our lives together in unison 
as a well-oiled machine reacting together to the situations in which we find ourselves, living out our days together here in God's good creation, and then into eternity together in God's new heaven and new earth. We at St. Bartholomew's in Palmer, Alaska this summer have been taking a deep dive into the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians. From my seat and merely my opinion, I see the Apostle Paul's letter as one of the finest works outlining how Christians are to live in unity and in love with one another, creating and living within the family of God as they walk together in the spirit of the living God. In other words, Paul is telling us Christianity is a team sport more, much more than merely an individual effort to get to heaven. From the very first sentences of the Galatians letter all the way through to the end, one of the major themes of Paul's letter is that those who are believers of the faith and walk in step with the Spirit of the living God are to live as one family of God. That in Jesus' death and bodily resurrection from the grave, new creation has begun. The power of sin and death held over humanity since the beginning of time was destroyed, and that new creation, new life in Christ, had begun. Now listen to this. This new creation, this new life in Christ, is meant to resemble a community of people living together, sharing together, supporting each other, loving each other, much like God's initial intention for God's good creation to live, share, support, and love each other in then the Garden of Eden, and also much like God's intention for God's people to live into eternity in the new heaven and new earth, where we will live, share, support, and love one another forever and ever. Amen. After one's baptism, after one's coming to faith, as it were, members of the church were never meant to simply mark time, awaiting the demise of their humanly bodies in order to put on heavenly bodies. No, members of the family of God are called to live as Jesus taught his disciples to live, commanding each of us to love God with our hearts, souls, minds, and strength, and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. The letter to Galatians declares that there are not two families of God, a Jewish family and a Gentile family. There's not inequality between women and men and that there is no economic, social, or political difference between the boss and the employee. Or, in Paul's words, there's no slave or free man. Paul did declare, however, that all in Christ belong to one family, the family of God. And as members of that family, we are to live, share, support, and love one another. The crisis in Galatia, which led to the writing of the letter to the Galatians, was that folks in the church were living more like the church was an individual accomplishment, an individual event, an individual sport, rather than a, than a team sport. People saw themselves as a certain type of Christian, which then in their own minds allowed them to look down upon others in the gathering. If they saw someone not living up to their standards or according to the way they thought others should be acting, they felt smug 
arrogant, a bit much of themselves. That's not the way we behave, they might exclaim. At the time, these groups were established along the lines of status, Jewish or Gentile, male or female, rich or slave. Yet Paul's writing to the Galatians makes it very clear that at the foot of the cross of Christ, all are equal. All are equally members of the family of God. That the law that was once to be followed was fulfilled, made complete in Jesus. And the law of Christ now to be followed was the law of love. Love for God and love for one's neighbor. Of course, as we all know, to love God and to love our neighbors is much easier said than put into practice. Those of us in the church today are as equally guilty of easily falling into divisions over finances, social or marital status, color of skin, and any number of other castes as the Galatian church was way back in 50 A.D., that said, the church is designed by God to work like a well-designed team with the gifts of the Holy Spirit equally spread amongst its members so that those gifts and skills may be used to build one another up, not to tear anyone down. Which brings us to our second reading from this morning's lectionary. Paul writes that within the well-oiled machine of the church, every member is to care for one another, meaning that when one member of the congregation falls into a transgression, those who are spiritual should restore the transgressor with a gentle spirit back into good health. It is interesting to note that Paul doesn't claim that there should be no transgressions. However, that when transgressions are seen, those who have the Spirit of Christ should restore the transgressor mem transgressing member to full health with a spirit of gentleness. Now, some here may be rebuffed or hurt by this gentle admonition, even when done in a spirit of humbleness and meekness. From this reading, some may hear the word judge, as in, no one is allowed to judge me. No one wishes to be judged by another. In fact, Jesus teaches, teaches that we should not judge another's action, lest we be judged. Let me give an example of what I mean from a church I served many years ago. One morning, I received a phone call from the chief of police in the small town of which I had served that a member of my congregation had died in his sleep and his now widowed bride requested my presence. The man was 29 years old when he died, and he left behind a 29-year-old wife and a two-year-old son. Shortly after the funeral, the new widow was distraught and oftentimes found herself depressed. She sought relief in alcohol and a party spirit. Now, in a small town, one doesn't hide very easily one's sins, as it were. The leadership of the church was livid and called me on the carpet to throw her out of the church. So I arranged a meeting with the young woman to tell her that we, the church, cared for her and loved her. But we had heard of her recent actions and asked her how best the church could come alongside her and support her and her son. In no way was I going to throw a grieving widow and young mother out of the church. 
after hearing of what I had done, four of the five elders of the church felt it was their duty to leave the church, taking half of the congregation with them. And yet it is a good report that today, in that small town, the then widow, now remarried, is involved in a ministry to young mothers who find themselves in need of support. Recall that from the start of this meditation, I have said that Christianity is a team sport. If we have the best interest of the entire team in mind, not our own position of individual worth, then bearing one another's burdens is a load easily handled. Remember Jesus' words that to all who are weary and heavy laden to come to Jesus and he would give us rest. And then Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So as Jesus, the Messiah, carried the cross for our sins, so we too must carry one another's burdens to carry one another's crosses. And I must also, uh, and I must always remember that the transgression I point out in someone else today may well be the transgression which is pointed out in me tomorrow. Now here's the great paradox of living in community. We say that we are all equal, living together in mutual affection and love, giving and being given together. Yet one cannot slide through hoping that, uh, uh, that another's devotion and goodwill will indeed carry me through to the end of the day. No, not so. When it comes to my neighbor, I must be sure to remain humble if I am to offer help and or advice. And I also must recognize that I am responsible for my own actions. Bear one another's burdens, found in verse 2 of chapter 6, is balanced with all must carry their own load, found in verse 5 of the same chapter. It's the middle of summer, and the fishing is fine, the hikes are gorgeous, and the foot races are left to the swift to run, and the rest of us to, to enjoy watching. Go forth and enjoy. However, remember always that our lives are not our own. We have a responsibility to love one another, building one another up, caring for each other, bearing each other's burdens. Christianity, my friends, is a team sport. Let's walk in love then as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us in offering and sacrifice to God.